Okay, quiet on the set, everybody. Stand by. Roll camera. Speed. Roll sound. Speed. Market. And cue talent. Hello and welcome to This Week in Production. I'm your host, Art Aldridge, and we are on the eve, the cusp, of a major shift in the Apple professional tool set that we all use every day. Before I get to this week's topic, I want to encourage you to send me your comments and feedback. Please email thisweekinproduction at gmail.com or call me on my Google voicemail. I'm not going to answer, but it's it's a voicemail box that you can leave a message. 601-564-TWIP, T-W-I-P, 601-564-8947. Like I said, I'd love to hear from you, comments, suggestions, good, bad, or whatever. You want to yell at me? You want to tell me I suck? Please, I welcome it. Okay, let's get back to this week's topic. Of course, I'm talking about the new Apple chips that were released in the new Macs. The M1 chips and the operating system, Big Sur, that supports it. Let's start with the OS. The code name is Big Sur, but the official number is Mac OS 11. That's right, a whole number change. This is just like when we went from OS 9 to OS 10, the PowerPC to Intel transition. It's on that same magnitude. Professionals need to think of this OS 11 in the same way. Like it's not a small incremental update of the operating system. It's a major upgrade. It's going to break things. I would suggest only upgrading if you're interested in in experimentation. For me, I've got a laptop, a 16-inch MacBook Pro that I'm using as a test mule. It's not used for critical production work. I can spare it for testing. And I've been running the Big Sur beta now for quite some time. And I'm trying to download the new 10.5 Final Cut Pro, but still getting some server errors. I know a lot of people have been saying they're having some issues downloading Big Sur, downloading Final Cut. I've had some issues there. We'll have to see what happens with that. At the very minimum, though, if I didn't have a spare system, and I wanted to experiment with Big Sur and or Final Cut Pro 10.5, I would clone the 10.4 system that I'm running now. I would clone my current system with something like Carbon Copy Cloner to an external drive. And that way, if something went wrong, if something went sideways, if something wasn't working that I needed really badly, I would have a way backwards. It is not easy to downgrade your operating system. Pretty much impossible except for a race and a reinstall. And if you don't have your user account backed up, then you're really, really screwed. So just word of advice, everyone's heard this before. Just a reminder, you know, clone your system, make a backup. I would also suggest making a zip of the Final Cut Pro 10.4, whatever version you're on, and store it. Because if you need to download it again, guess what? It's only 10.5 that's available. 
There might be a way to download it inside of Apple support, but why take a chance? Just zip it, keep it somewhere, you know, safe, and then you can upgrade on the automatic updates if you want to 10.5. The same goes for your Final Cut Pro libraries that are running right now under Final Cut 10.4, whatever, or 10.3 or whatever you're on. If you upgrade Final Cut and you launch one of those libraries, it's going to change the library format in a way that you will not be able to open that library on an older Final Cut Pro. Now, depending on how you manage media, how you handle uh, your camera originals, you may be able to recreate it if you needed to, but the safest play is just to copy that old library in its existing format somewhere safe and then upgrade the library like on your media drive and then if something happened you could always go back. At the very minimum make an XML copy of the library in 10.4 and if you had the media you could always relink it that way. I know this is all time and energy probably stuff that you've heard before you might know it. It's a reminder think of it as a community service announcement and always be prepared for the unexpected so that's my lecture on protecting yourself uh, in terms of software upgrades. Let's get into the hardware for a minute. Apple this week announced three new Macs with the new M1 chip. And the M1 is not really a chip, but it's a system on a chip. It's a new design for Apple, not relying on Intel and you know logic boards that have been pre-configured. This is an Apple designed from the ground up chip, system on a chip, SOC. The new machines were the MacBook Air in a 13 inch size, a MacBook Pro in a 13 inch size, and a Mac Mini. These machines make sense to me as the first machines because they're not really professional high performance machines. Like they're not releasing a 16 inch MacBook Pro, which you know, professionals rely on every day to do heavy lifting. They didn't release that Mac with an M1 chip, probably because they need to see where it goes, what kind of performance they can gain, and, you know, what kind of problems they're going to run into. So this is a very conservative start for Apple with these new machines. There's some common things that are interesting about these machines, the three that they've released. They're limited to 16 gigabytes of RAM. And it may sound low. I mean, obviously, you can buy machines from Apple on the Intel side that have more RAM in them from the factory. So I'm not sure if that's a design issue, if it's a issue that is really not an issue. Maybe you don't need more than 16 gigabytes of RAM in this new design. I'm not certain. But it is common among the three platforms. Also, there are only two USB or Thunderbolt 3 ports. There are actually USB 4, which supports that USB-C connector with high speed. They also act as Thunderbolt 3 ports, and there's only two of them. So I'm not sure if that's significant or not, given that these are not professional machines. You know, maybe two is enough, and maybe you can, you know, just add hubs and things like that that you need to connect what you need to connect. I do know that these machines using that USB for Thunderbolt 3 port will support 
one Apple 6K HDR display. The Mac Mini was not a machine that I was expecting, though it, it is not surprising. It is in that same category. But the Mac Mini has been like a little sleeper system for a long time. It's had good performance. I've run them many times as servers. I ran one in my office as a, a daylight CRM server. I've run them as Final Cut servers back in the day when Final Cut had a server software. I've run them as Apple file sharing servers. They're great because you can deploy them in small spaces. You can run them headless. Nice machine. So I was not expecting a new Mac Mini, but again, not shocked that it's in this class. One thing that I was surprised to see was that they took out the 10 gigabit Ethernet option. That was an option in the last Mac Mini that I bought because that Mac would easily plug into my shared storage solution without using an external box. The jury is out as to whether I will be able to use an external 10 gigabit Ethernet adapter on the Thunderbolt 3 USB 4 port. I expect yes, but again, to be determined. This leads me to think about the larger question, which is performance for pro users. I haven't really seen any direct comparisons to current Intel machines, but there are some indicators that show that this chipset in single core thread tests is faster, maybe faster than the Mac Pro from 2019 that is sitting under my desk in single processor tests. It is faster. So that is something that we will have to deal with. We, we may see a new era of machines coming out slowly that are faster than machines that we've spent a lot of money for. It's the nature of the business. But we know that Apple has said it will take about two years to complete this transition. That means that the Pro machine, the Mac Pro, may be the last one to be released in an Apple Silicon variant. So that will give them time to see how to get the most performance out of machine. Maybe they're doing something with new chip designs that are not available yet. We don't know, but I think this is a good indicator. But we do, we have to be patient and we have to understand the plan, right? The plan is for Apple to move away from Intel processors and use chips that they've designed with lots of other componentry on the chip to make it fast. So does this mean that I will upgrade or not upgrade to an M1 chip? Well, none of these machines really interest me as a, hey, let's go to work on it machine. I am interested in it as a test case, but I need to understand some more about what performance gains will come from the final cut side, from compressor, from motion with these new machines. If there are some significant gains in power, then I'm in for a test. I'll buy a Mac mini, I'll put it in my you know system and I'll see how it integrates. If I can run even one compression routine on it that's faster, it might be a win. Now this calls back to last week's podcast where I was speaking with Tom and Stas about the Final Cut Pro Creative Summit. And this has always been the sort of state of the 
Pro Video User Conference. And this year it's virtual, but every year in the past, we've had good access to the Final Cut Pro team, the hardware people, the software people, the product managers, and we've usually been given some insight that's not public knowledge about where things are. So that begs the question, this year, will we have that same access? And the answer is, I don't know. I've registered for the Future Media Concepts Final Cut Pro Creative Summit, and I know that on Thursday the 19th of November, that the Apple Pro team will have a live session that's called What's New in the Pro Video Applications and Apple Silicon-based Macs. Now, will we get Q&A? Will we get inside information? I don't know. I know that that session is not being recorded and we will not have access to it on an archive like the rest of the non-Apple sessions are. The rest of those sessions, you can watch any time up to 90 days after. The Apple sessions have to watch live. So I would expect Q&A, but they haven't said. That's going to be an interesting thing to see if Apple is willing to talk to the end users, the pro editors. There has been some in the Final Cut vlogging universe. I hate that word vlog. But there have been some that are vocal about their disappointment in the new Final Cut. And I think it's too early to say, but just like the Mac OS went from OS 10 to OS 11, this Final Cut Pro going from 10.4 to 10.5 indicates a big sea change. Now, if you look at the release notes for 10.5, and I'll read them here, they don't seem like they're as lengthy as some of the other point releases, 10 to 10.1, 10.1 to 10.2, etc., etc. But here are the release notes for 10.5. Improved performance and efficiency on Mac computers with Apple Silicon. Okay, we've expected that. Accelerated machine learning analysis for smart conform using the Apple neural engine on Mac computers with Apple Silicon. And I think that means that things like the reframing with region of interest, I think that's what they're specifically saying. Option to create a copy of your library and automatically transcode media to ProRes proxy or H.264 at various resolutions. Now, this is a variation of a feature that was announced about a month ago, and I talked about it on a previous podcast. The ability to use other proxies besides ones that Final Cut Pro generates is really nice for me in particular because I have a camera that shoots a lightweight proxy in camera. So I don't want to have to render, and I can do that using a uh, relinking and point it to those proxies. But this new feature is the ability to make a copy of the library and have the transcoding done automatically in that new library. And I think this is meant for editors who want to hand off the workflow to another site and have a lightweight footprint of the media done on an external drive. It's a, like a one-step way to do it. Then it goes on to say Final Cut Pro 10.5 also includes the following. Exporting HLG high dynamic range projects with Dolby Vision metadata 
optimized for playback on Apple devices. It's like the high dynamic range playback for stuff that was shot on an iPhone. So you can shoot it on an iPhone, you can work in that high dynamic range project from your phone in Final Cut and then spit it out, something that will play back on an Apple device. It fixes an issue with LUTs that were not available in optimized or proxy clips, not in my universe, improves appearance of HDR thumbnails in the browser and timeline. Again, not huge for me. Improves reliability when previewing built-in sound effects in the browser. That's been a rub because it's broken. It's a really poor mechanism to do sound effects right now. So if they've improved that, I say thumbs up. Fixes an issue in which audio waveforms would not update in the inspector after a filter or making a volume change. And I've seen that where the redraw does not happen. Fixes an issue in which chapter markers were not available during sharing. Improves reliability when creating proxy media from non-square pixel interlaced clips. This is like old media, the old Panasonic P2 cameras that were not uh, square pixeled. You know, I, I'm not doing that. I don't know how many people are, but it is a fix. Improves stability when applying stabilization and color balance during import. I haven't had an issue with that, but that must be something that is synonymous with a, maybe a certain camera. Fixes an issue in which audio sync could drift when retiming clips. Haven't seen that one myself. Improves reliability with social media content positioning when using smart conform to switch between vertical and horizontal frame sizes. Again, not in my universe. Improves reliability when using on-screen crop controls in the viewer. Fixes an issue in which copying stills between libraries would result in duplicate files. Includes built-in support for Avid DNX HR and Avid DNX HD decoding and playback. Again, not in my universe. So that is not a huge list of things and there's not a lot of new and exciting things. This is mainly bug fixes and some compatibility issues and not really a big feature update. Why are some people upset by that? I think that the rationale they're using is that, well, it went from 10.4 to 10.5. And why with such a little bit of new material would you give it a full point update? I think the answer to that is because it is now supporting Apple Silicon. That is why. I don't think it has anything more to do with that. I don't know that there's a conspiracy theory around it. Now, knowing Apple, they they do what they want. They could come out with 10.5.1 in a month with lots of new features if they wanted to. But I think to call this anything but 10.5 would be probably a disservice to the time and performance gains we're going to see in the Apple Silicon. What I really want to know is, does this mean Final Cut now runs on an iPad? And I think the answer is yes, because the iPad and the new M1 Max, which Final Cut now runs on, are basically the same platform. So I don't know if Apple will let us run Final Cut 
on an iPad, but I believe now it is capable of doing so. So where does this leave all of us pro video users? If you believe Apple, there's somewhere around 4 million users of Final Cut Pro out there. Now, I don't believe they're all pro users, but they've sold 4 million or so licenses. Obviously, the amount of those people who call themselves pro, I guess, because they brought the pro app, they're not on M1 Silicon. And even if they are, just because it's new, it's a small percentage. So does that mean that we're not going to see new features for Intel-based Macs? I don't think so. I don't think that's what it means. I just think that it was a fair amount of work to get Final Cut to run on the new chip and to optimize it for some of the performance, which, which Apple has said it's anywhere from 3x to 6x faster than existing Macs. But we'll have to see what it really means. But I don't think it means that Intel users are going to be left out of new features. But I do think some of the new features will require the new chips, like the neural engine and the things like that. I do hope that we get a Final Cut Pro on iPad with the ability to do cloud-based proxies and project syncing amongst your devices and be able to move from my tower to my laptop to my iPad and back all in a kind of Apple cloud ecosystem. Let's do that. I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready. I also want to see some things like captions being generated from the audio. Like that's possible, right? We've got it in Siri. We've got it built into the phone now. Well, guess what? The new Macs are basically the same system. Let's see some of those new features on Apple hardware. So it is an interesting time in the pro video Apple ecosystem. I'm excited by it. I look forward to hearing what Apple has to say next week at the Final Cut Summit. I look forward to testing new hardware, especially if it renders things really quick or if it does some you know tricks that I might need that I don't even know about yet. I'm all for it. Let's just wait and see. Everyone take a breath. Your, your universe hasn't ended. Your machines are still working. You're still able to cut. I still work faster on this version of Final Cut than I've had on any other version of Final Cut before. So I'm not disappointed. I'm not upset. I'm willing to wait and see. I'm actually kind of excited. That's it for this week in production. I'll see you next week. Do you have something to say? Drop me an email at thisweekinproduction at gmail.com. Or even better, call our new TWIP voice mailbox and leave us a message. 601-564-TWIP. That's 601-564-8947. Also, a reminder that This Week in Production is available on all major podcast platforms, including Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play. So please subscribe to get every episode. Lastly, if you like what you hear, would you mind giving me a rating or a review? I'd appreciate that. Okay, that's a wrap on this week in production. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.